Well, friends, we're, uh, we're beginning a new sermon series today. It's, it's titled The Beginning, and um, it's titled that uh, because it's, it's a six-week series in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, the very first verse of Mark's Gospel goes like this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And if you're part of our church family, you know that during that time before Christmas, known as Advent, when we prepare for the first coming of of Christ and, and consider his second coming, that which he has promised, we focused on the prophet Isaiah and what Isaiah foretold about the coming Messiah, that, that a child was promised. And Isaiah unpacked who that child would be and, and what he would do and how he would do it. And then, of course, we know that that Messiah was Jesus, and Jesus came that first Christmas long ago. And in some way, it makes a lot of sense to focus on one of the Gospels after Christmas because the promised Messiah arrived at that first Christmas long ago. And then he did some stuff. Now the, Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark is unique in the sense that it's the most concise of the Gospels. It's the shortest. There are three synoptic Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Mark is understood to be the source document, one of the source documents for Matthew and, and Luke. So it was the earliest of the Gospels. And it has the express purpose of revealing Jesus as the Messiah that promised child long ago who had arrived. And in the first chapter, we see some big categories of ministry that are very important to Jesus. He was setting the stage. You know this, this kind of expression, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Well, in this first chapter of Mark are some big areas where we get to know Jesus, how he did what he did, what he was committed to, and we're gonna be looking in this series about what all that means for us. So today, we're looking at the, uh, the areas of identity and temptation. So let's listen to the scripture. A reading from Mark 1, beginning at verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Esther. Over the holidays, uh, well, actually, before I dive in, uh, I want to express my thanks to Dave Bast. Uh, We are so blessed, and I am so thankful uh, to have both a friend and mentor and such uh, an incredible preacher who's willing to step in uh, for me pretty much at any time. So thank you, Dave. I appreciate your work over the last couple weeks. And that enabled uh, Crystal and the boys and I to to get away for some much-needed vacation time, and it was really good uh, to get some rest. So I'm appreciative of Dave's work. Uh, Over the holidays, during that time when, uh, when we were resting, I picked up a little book titled 
Surrender to Love. It's by an author named David Benner. And I was familiar with him because of a class that our church used to offer several years ago. And if you've been around Fifth for a while, you might remember it. It was called Vantage Point Three, uh, kind of an in-depth adult spiritual formation class. And in the course of that curriculum, we read a book titled The Gift of Being Yourself. And it was by this same author, David Benner. And I, I just happened to stumble across this other little work, which turns out to be one of three in a little spiritual formation series. So I, I picked it up and, and began reading it, and I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. And right at the outset, he makes a point that I think is very important and quite apt for today's message. He talks about the phrase spiritual journey, and he says that that, that, that kind of metaphor of journey when applied to the spiritual life is both helpful uh, and can be a bit misleading. I mean, it's helpful because uh, you know, we kind of experience our spiritual lives as a journey. At least I do. I, I imagine you do too. It feels like we're on a journey, hopefully, learning and growing, maybe sometimes feeling stalled, sometimes making great headway, but it, it feels like we're moving, right? Going somewhere. So the metaphor of journey is helpful in that sense. And it's also helpful in the sense that a, a journey follows a path, if you're traveling in a car, you get out Google Maps and get the route, right? Uh, the spiritual journey follows a path. That's, that's accurate because the Christian life is about following Jesus. We follow the way of Christ. So in those ways, this idea of journey is helpful. But writes David Benner, unhelpfully, it obscures the fact that we already are what we seek and where we long to arrive, specifically in Christ. So that was, that was his way of saying that, yeah, we're on a journey, but in many ways as Christians, we understand ourselves to have already arrived at where we long to be, not because of our work, but because of what God has done for us already. You know, when we, when we become Christians, when at whatever point in our life we find ourselves, when we finally say yes to God's yes to us, when we become Christians, uh, that, that has profound implications for us. The Bible says that we're united with Christ. We, we have union with Jesus. We're made new. The old is gone. The new has come, says the Bible. The, the scripture uses this bride and bridegroom language to describe Jesus and the church. Jesus is the groom, the, the church is his bride, and we're united in, in many ways, not unlike marriage. Uh, in, in the kingdom of God, as it's understood in the Bible, there is an already but not yet kind of understanding. God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus, but it hasn't yet fully come. That will happen when Jesus returns. And then salvation and, and justification, we understand this in this way also. God declares us to be righteous when we come to Christ. I mean, he, he makes uh, the equivalent of a legal declaration saying, not only are you forgiven of all of your sin, but credited to your account is the perfect righteousness of Christ. And all of that happens by God's declaration, not any of our own doing. So journey you know, yeah, we're on a journey, 
But in many ways, the journey is about appropriating the land already promised us. Right? The point here is that as Christians, we're on a journey and we have already arrived. You know, not unlike the Israelites of old, God promised them a land. But their work was to engage in the battle of occupying it, of living into that which was already given to them. And in many ways, this is the challenge of the Christian life, especially in this area of identity. And we see this in the first three verses of our scripture today, 9 through 11. Look at those again. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. God said directly to Jesus, you are my son. What an incredible moment this was, right? The, the father speaking from heaven in an audible voice that, that others could hear directly to Jesus, you are my son. But, but God didn't stop there, right? He said, you are my son whom I love. You know, identity child of God, beloved child of God. But God had one more thing to add. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. No, identity, the identity of Jesus. He was a beloved child of God with whom God is pleased. Now this is one of those places, uh, at least this is true of me, where it's easy for me to believe that about Jesus. But because we've been united with Christ um, by, by grace and through faith, what God said to Jesus has identity implications for us. Right? If we're Christians, if we're united with Jesus, we can hear the words that God spoke to Jesus at his baptism as words that God speaks over us. Not because we've done anything great, but simply because God has declared us righteous, we are united with Christ. And in Christ, we are beloved children of God with whom God is pleased. Now we don't have to go on a journey to arrive at this destination, we've already arrived if we're in Christ. This, this is already true of us. We don't have to build an identity. We don't have to earn our identity. We don't even get to choose our identity. We simply receive our identity. Beloved child of God with whom God is pleased. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. This does not get any of us off the hook ethically you know, because we're beloved of God and belong to Jesus or his kid and, and he's pleased with us, that doesn't mean he's pleased with everything we do. 
That doesn't mean that we get a pass on, on uh, the mandate to love mercy and do justice and walk humbly with God. It doesn't mean any of that. That's all the work of sanctification. That's all our work of, of occupying the land already given to us, becoming more like Jesus and growing in our ability to do the kinds of things that Jesus did, which is really a very simple definition of discipleship, becoming more like Jesus and growing in our ability to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. So the question is, if we can hear the words that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism as words that God speaks over us, we have to ask ourselves, how does that square with our understanding of ourselves. You know, identity, our identity in Christ, beloved child of God, with whom God is pleased. Hold that over here and compare it with the typical script that runs in your inner dialogue, in your mind, in your spirit, in your heart. How do those two things compare? How does that identity statement of God over Jesus compare with the way you think about yourself, understand yourself? How does it compare with the scripts you tell yourself? And you, you, have, you have a perfectly, a perfect heavenly parent who loves you and is pleased with you. Well, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for this instant of time in your experience of life? What does this mean for today? What does this mean for tomorrow? You know, this, this is one of the many reasons we can say that following Jesus is a better way to live than not following Jesus. Because we can have great assurance in Christ that, that God loves us, that we're God's children, and that God is pleased with us. We're still very much works in progress, but living under the, the pleasure of God, knowing that God is pleased with you, is an entirely different way to live than living under this kind of perpetual feeling of guilt or not good enough or something like that. And this really is at the heart of the gospel, you know, our identity in Christ. So here's the thing, in a new year, here after the Christmas season, uh, we, we all know that in life you have to kind of choose your battles, right? You can't invest everywhere all the time. So if there's any sense of disconnect between uh, your understanding of yourself and this, this identity statement of Jesus, beloved child of God, with whom God is pleased, I encourage you to invest here, to choose this battle, to, to occupy the territory already given you spiritually in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about like whether or not you have struggles. We, we all have struggles with this, right? But if, if at a fundamental level, this identity implication has not locked in for you, camp out here. Pray through this. Read scripture and, and talk to God about this. Invite the spirit to change you in this. In, invite the Holy Spirit into those scripts that are telling you other things that are not true, might be contradictory to this identity statement. 
And so much stuff in life gets screwed up because we're believing basic scripts about ourselves and others that are not true. I see the work of the enemy in that, right? The father of lies is, is sowing lie after lie at every turn. We are beloved children of God with whom God is pleased. That is who we are in Jesus. The identity of Jesus and the implications for us. We, we can look at the next verses that we read this morning in kind of a similar way. They have to do with the temptation of Jesus. Here they are again. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Now Mark's version is quite short, the, the account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, just two verses here. But from the other gospel accounts, we get a, a little more detail about what these temptations were like. So you can read the whole thing if you'd like in Matthew 4, but I'll summarize it for us here. Jesus felt hungry and Satan said to him, tell these rocks to become bread. Because he knew that Jesus could, right? This is the temptation of appetite. Satan took Jesus to the highest point of the temple and said, throw yourself down. God will keep you from getting hurt. The implication being that the temple was crowded and that everyone would see that God saved Jesus, would be impressed. He would instantly become a religious superstar. This is the temptation of approval. And Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and, and told him they could be his. Right? This is the temptation of ambition. And, and I would venture to bet that whatever your primary temptations happen to be, they fall into one of those three big categories, appetite, approval, or ambition. See, those three can be considered the big categories of temptation. And right after, this is the important part, by the way, right after Jesus heard from his father regarding his identity, he faced massive temptation to abandon that identity and start providing for himself what the tempter was telling him he needed, which ultimately gets back to our identity need. And all of those temptations were oriented around some identity need, ultimately. And this goes on in our world every day, the temptations of appetite and approval and ambition. I, I, it goes on in your life every day. I know it goes on in your life every day because it goes on in my life every day. I can find myself, um, if you don't know this about me already, I'm an approval guy. Those are my, my weaknesses, uh, kind of the shadow side of my makeup. And I can find myself posturing and behaving in ways to garner respect. And, and all of those are ultimately, uh, you know, ways I'm trying to build or craft an identity for myself. And ways that I might be failing to rely upon the identity given me in Christ. Which would ultimately make me very non-anxious and unconcerned about those other issues if I was relying on my identity in Christ. 
Now, the, the answer for conquering temptation is not simply to try harder to avoid sin. The answer is to lean into your identity in Christ. And the answer is not to, to work on the spiritual to-do list and build your own spiritual identity. You know, the answer is to rest and know that, that God is God and that you are exactly who he says you are, right? I, uh, I'm part of a pastor's group uh, that gets together uh, by Zoom. We were getting together by Zoom even before the pandemic because we live in different places. But we get together every couple weeks and there's a, a friend of mine who leads this group and is kind of a mentor to the rest of us. And he was unpacking these three categories of temptation with one other pastor that day and it really came out that that pastor too struggles with approval and his, his desire to, uh, to be approved of by the members of his congregation led him to a, a level of workaholism that was just over the top. He was working all the time, not able to rest at all, not, not able to give himself the grace of a break. And, and I'll never forget what our mentor said to this pastor. Uh, he, he said, you know, one of the most effective ways to combat that is not simply to pray more or even in this case, just try to get closer to Jesus or lean on your own identity. It's, it's to take a journey of faith that is actively contrary to that temptation. So for this pastor, what that meant was on a work day, hopping in his fishing boat and setting out into the middle of the lake that was in a highly public place where everybody could see him. And to sit in that boat and just fish and relax. See, the, the temptations of appetite and approval and ambition are very, very powerful in our lives. They, they entice us to craft our own identity rather than relying upon our identity in Christ. So again, in this new year, if you have to pick one battle, one, one struggle in which to invest, invest in this one. Pursue your identity in Christ and trust that you are exactly who God says you are. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much for the way that you have revealed to us who you are. And thank you, God, for telling us who we are. We bless you, Lord, that you have been so clear in that. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for letting us know that we are your children. Letting us know that you love us deeply and letting us know that you're not up there in heaven, arms crossed, looking down on us, thinking, when will they ever get it figured out? But you are pleased with us not because of us, but because of 
whom you have declared us to be. God, thank you. Give our spirits deep rest in these truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.